Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. Yesterday, we began airing a presentation Dr. James White gave at one of our Compassionate Boldness Conferences held here in Salt Lake City. James is the director of Alpha and Omega Ministries based in Phoenix, Arizona. His website is aomin.org. That's A-O-M-I-N dot O-R-G. James is a prolific author and debater and has spent his life defending the Christian faith. Because many Mormons have been led to believe that our Bibles have not been transmitted accurately down through the years, I wanted him to explain why the New Testament is trustworthy. Now, James was using PowerPoint when he gave this lecture, so just having the audio might prove to be a small challenge. Still, I think you will get a lot of helpful information from his presentation titled, Can We Trust the New Testament? Responding to Article 8. A few other things that they won't tell you. The more manuscripts you have for a particular work, the more textual variants you will have. If you only have one manuscript of the New Testament, how many textual variants are you going to have? None. By definition. But if you only have one manuscript, then you don't have much confidence that you actually have the original. You see, one of the things that needs to be understood here is that there's a vast difference in how the New Testament came to us and how the Quran came to the Muslims. The Quran is transmitted by government authority, in essence. It is a controlled transmission uh, over time. It's an edited transmission. Now, that means you have far less textual variance, but it also means that you have to trust the people that transmitted it to you because they can then burn the evidence of their editing. The New Testament did not come to us in that way. We have thousands of manuscripts of the Greek New Testament. And during the first 300 years or so of the transmission of that text, 250, the Christians are under persecution. Keep that in mind. That's going to come up a number of times in the presentation as we go along. There are, as of right now, over 5,700. It's actually, as of November last year, 5,752 cataloged manuscripts of the New Testament books, the average of which is 200 pages long. And uh, that means there is approximately 1.3 million pages of text grand total. That's a lot of handwritten text. Remember, handwritten text. Some of you may be old enough to remember the old uh, Xerox commercials. Remember the Xerox commercials many years ago uh, where they had the monk? Uh, and they, uh, the monk had a Xerox machine hidden in his cell, and all the other monks were mad at him because he could always produce manuscripts so fast and so well and stuff like that. Only the older of you are going, eh, and the younger, and the younger if, if you're less than 30 and you're going, yeah, you're a liar. I know you are, so don't worry about it. Uh, they didn't have Xerox machines back then. Uh, if you wanted to make a copy of something, you either did so uh, by hand, copying from one or more manuscripts, or you did a scriptorium 
where, for example, in Alexandria, you would have a person sitting up front. He would read the text. You'd have three, four, five, ten, whatever, uh, scribes sitting in front of him, uh, writing down what he is reading. Uh, that was the only way to make copies of books in those days. If you made a copy of a book, it's pretty obvious you wanted that book. Can you imagine the hand cramping involved in uh, creating a copy of a book for yourself? Uh, we'll look a little bit more at that a little bit later on. 4,000 meaningful variants, over 1.2 million pages of hand-copied text, spanning approximately 1,500 years prior to the, the invention of printing and the use of printing, uh, is an amazingly small percentage of the text reflecting an amazingly accurate history of transmission. One, indeed, might say it is downright miraculous. One of the positive things that came out of my debate with Bart Ehrman is I got him to say uh, before that audience that the New Testament is the earliest attested and most widely attested work of all of antiquity. And so if you're going to question the overall accuracy of the New Testament text, as a result, you must question the accuracy of all of antiquity. If we can't know what the New Testament originally said, that we don't know anything about history at all. Unless it was chiseled in a wall someplace, that's about the only way you could have any knowledge from the past at all. Now, on the screen right now, I used BibleWorks to create a graphic for you. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. You can see here in green, uh, I have had my computer compare the, most, the, the two ends of the spectrum of the manuscript tradition. Now, for those of you... If you don't catch some of this, don't worry about it. Go back and listen to it. Uh, I've put most of this presentation on the web on YouTube. Uh, you catch the Ehrman debate. A lot of this stuff is in there. But if you want to define the two ends of the manuscript tradition as far as the, the briefest and most concise manuscripts and the fuller, longer ones, which normally come later in church history, this side is called the Alexandrian text. This side is called the Byzantine text. And I had my computer compare the most disparate printed editions of the Greek New Testament, the most unlike each other, to give you an idea of what kind of variation we have amongst all of these manuscripts. Here's Ephesians chapter 1. Now, when you first heard 400,000 and you first heard three variants per word, this isn't what you were thinking of. Here is what you see. In green is the only places where there are variants between the Byzantine manuscript tradition as a whole and the Alexandrian manuscript tradition as a whole. Obviously, uh, and if you can read Greek, then you know, for example, something like this is a preposition. Uh, there's all sorts of different ways that can be uh, understood. Uh, sometimes it's a matter of capitalization, like Yesu there or something like that. Capitalization is not a part of the original text we'll see here in a moment, but in computers that sometimes comes up. But as you can see, there's no question about what Ephesians 1, 1 through 14 says in the Greek manuscript tradition. Let's look at uh, the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation has the fewest manuscripts of any New Testament book. All of the New Testament books have more manuscripts than Revelation. Revelation is the only New Testament book for which we have collated every known manuscript. Only Revelation. There's still a lot of work to be done in this field. Uh, there's been an explosion of manuscript finds in the past hundred years. But let's face it, there's not a lot of money in doing manuscript collation. And so there's still much more work that needs to be done. But here you can see a little bit more. But again, almost all of these uh, differences are spelling differences, like how to spell Smyrna, uh, whether it's Smyrna or Smyrnon or something like that, doesn't impact the translation at all. 
Let's look at uh, one of the Gospels. Here's the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Again, a lot of uh, preposition issues, uh, how to spell Jerusalem. Scribes really struggled with spelling. Isn't that strange? They didn't have spell check. Uh, and uh, how many of you would admit? I mean, if, 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 it was, if you were on, uh, you know, uh, you want to be a millionaire and you had to spell Jerusalem, wouldn't you have a few uh, doubts somewhere along the lines, especially if you were trying to spell it in Greek? And you didn't speak Greek? Yeah, that'd make a bit of a difference. Yeah. So there's Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Again, the two ends of the spectrum here. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. The, the book of Hebrews is incredibly clean when it comes to textual variation. There's chapter 6, verses 8 to, through 20. I see three possibilities there. How to spell uh, Chrysana, uh, I, and uh, whether there's an article before God in verse 18. Uh, other than that, here is an ancient text transmitted down through times of persecution in handwriting over 1,500 years. Do you think I could take any three pages of the Bible, start here in the front row, have one copy go back this direction, one copy go back there, one copy go back there, and one copy go back there, and it got to the back and it would be as good as this? I doubt it. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing to, to uh, look at what uh, the Lord has done in these areas. Now, let me make a comparison. Does that look familiar? I needed to... Th- <laughs> yeah, you d- did you do that? <laughs> There's the original scribe right there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> There's, uh, it, I'm, I did that just for you, Sandra. Actually, I didn't, actually it hadn't even crossed my mind, but I, again, uh, all of us who work in this field, we all know how much we depend upon that lady and how much we owe to her. So... Uh, <laughs> I wanted to put that up there because I think it's important while we're talking about the New Testament, we're doing this in the context of Mormonism. And is this textual variation as we have in the New Testament manuscripts? The answer is clearly no. In the New Testament manuscripts, you have transmission over time, multiple lines. Clearly, the scribes are attempting to be faithful. This is purposeful editing. This is purposeful change. And this is being done by those in charge of the text. And specifically, when you're talking about the changes between the 1833 Book of Commandments and the 1835 Doctrine and Covenants, you're talking about Joseph Smith making these changes. This would be like finding manuscripts of Mark, where Mark decides to take out entire parables and add contradictory parables. Uh, I mean, I'll never forget wandering into the Missionary Training Center in Provo uh, many, many moons ago, and I had just purchased a little uh, triple that I had with me, and I, at the posh place we had stayed the night before at Motel 6, I had, uh, had marked up Section 27 of the Doctrine and Covenants, and some of you already know, uh, you know this better than I do, that over 400 words have been added or deleted. The entire concept of the priesthood has been smuggled into that section. It looks great when you outline it in bright orange. It uh, sort of stands out. And I remember walking in there and asking all these missionaries. It was like a J.C. Penney convention. And uh, it was lunchtime, and there were just missionaries everywhere. And we were soon surrounded by about 12 missionaries or so, and we were talking to them. And this big guy, remember Sergeant Carter? Uh, so, so those of you who are older, remember Sergeant Carter, Gomer Pyle, you know? Make him about two feet taller. And this guy puts a clamp on my neck, and I turn around, and his name was President Bishop. 
I had always wondered, president, well, either a bishop or a president, but he was president and bishop. So uh, he has found out that there are some people asking questions at the front, at front desk, and so he ushers us outside, and all the missionaries come outside because they want to know the answers. And guess who's waiting for us outside? The BYU police. Yes. And he won't answer any of our questions. And you should have seen the missionaries. It's sort, it was, you know, it's sort of like when you've got a, a, a balloon in your hand, and you know, and it is, and they're all sad, and we're like, bye, hope you answer the question someday, and they ushered us off the campus. But anyway, that is not textual variation as we have in the New Testament. That is purposeful editing of the text. Now, of course, it's continued on, has it not? Uh, remember, you know, white and delightsome, pure and delightsome, that depends on which one you're reading. And that's long after the time of Joseph Smith as well. Well, we, he had it this way, he had it this way, we can change it, so on and so forth. Um, this is not textual variation as we have in the New Testament. That is purposeful editing. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. Introducing Christianity to Mormons, a new book by Mormonism Research Ministries' Eric Johnson is set to be released on September 13th. But if you'd like to get an early copy, Eric will be at the Utah Lighthouse Bookstore on Saturday, September 10th from noon to 5, and will be happy to sign your copy. Now, the bookstore is located right there at 1358 South and West Temple, which is just west of the Smith Ballpark in Salt Lake City. Once again, it's all happening on Saturday, September 10th from noon to 5 p.m. We'll see you there.